Welcome to Burning Daylight, the only podcast for the working cowboy. Well, howdy there, Daylight Burners. Happy Monday. Hope the weekend treated you all right. It's been, uh, I can't complain here, tell you the truth. It's been all right. Um, it's been hot, dry. We had, the, we had some moisture a while back, um, but... It's kind of dried out, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be hot for for the next ten days or so. But hey, it's all it's all good. I uh, had a good conversation with uh, Kate Bowen uh, earlier today. You'll uh, you'll hear that on Friday. I will be out of town Friday, so <coughs> um, got that one lined up for you. Uh, be in um, Kiowa, Colorado, uh, Saturday. Helping announce uh, the ranch rodeo for uh, the War Party Ranch. Uh, Jeremiah Wilbur and his crew's putting that on. So if you're in the area, come check it out. It's going to be a good time. Um, anyhow, I was, um, I've been kind of, yeah, just kind of over, over the news here lately. Like it's, it's fascinating and I like, I don't mind talking about it. Um, but it feels like I'm just repeating myself on, on here. So, um, it's just, a uh, it's fucking all Donald Trump all the time. And, uh, blah, I just, I'm fucking tired of all of that. So I was looking for something different. And, um, and of course when, when, when that, that hits me and I don't have somebody, somebody else to talk to, to keep me in check. I go down rabbit holes. I go down the, uh, I go, a historical uh, route and uh, go <sighs> find find a loose thread and you just pull on it, see see where it goes. And um, kind of got to listen to a bunch of different stuff and and uh, and reading. And anyway, I I somehow ended up on um, Canadian moonshiners. I don't know exactly how I I. Uh, I ended up on it, but it somehow that path led me to there. And uh, I, um, I texted a couple Canadian fellows and asked if they knew any stories that didn't. Um, but they gave me a decent start. Uh, Samson Moss gave me a decent starting point on that, and I found some pretty cool stuff. But I, I kind of just wanted to, like, prohibition was. Uh, it was a bold uh bold attempt, you know? Like that that was uh it was a really big undertaking that they they tried to go about. Um and I don't know how like I, I it it was it seemed like it was mostly a bunch of pissed off women. Like apparently in that time period between the uh, Civil War and, um, you know, and, and through the end of World War I, uh, the women of America just said, fuck you, no more, no more booze. 
And I don't know, maybe that was throughout the whole world because as we found out, there was prohibition in Canada too. I didn't know about that because honestly, I don't know a lot about Canada. I don't think most of the world does. Canada's got more uh, attention here in the last year for being a bunch of uh, tyrants up there than than they have in probably the history of Canada. But hey, there are there are a little top hat up there, and uh, and there are neighbors and and gotta give them their due. So I got a I got a good story lined up on that, but. I did not know that Canada had uh <clears throat> that had they had prohibition laws and it just it makes you wonder just like does the world just get in a mood every now and then they're just like this is this is where we're all going you know like uh and the, you had the you had the whole like imperial thing uh all the way up till really the end of the the 1800s and then, and you know, for us, it was, uh, we had the civil war and then leading up to that, like it was pretty, a lot, a lot of shit going on, industrial revolution, um, bunch of factory jobs that didn't really ever exist before ever. And, uh, and then you had a bunch of war and, and, um, dudes only lived to like 43 anyways. So like they just. And then the drinking themselves to death might have had a little bit of a part to that. I don't know. I mean, allegedly that stuff's bad for you. Um, and for whatever reason, just like all all the women folk, and I could be wrong. Could be me being a, a you know your typical chauvinist, which uh, um, doesn't really get the the nuances. But it just seems to me like a lot of the the temperance movement was uh, ran by a bunch of church ladies uh, that were really had their panties in a bunch. And maybe that's just me misreading history, but that's what it seems like. And um, so, but it, it seems like it happened Well, maybe it was just, uh, you know, the, the Western hemisphere, you know, maybe it was just us in Canada. Because if you, if you go back and watch these, uh, these accurate documentaries that Hollywood puts, Hollywood puts out and, uh, maybe is it Hollywood? I don't know. Um, wherever the, I guess London, is that where the BBC is, is filmed where their big studios are? But, um, Peaky Blinders, uh, if you watch that, you, you know, you can see how the, the Brits, um, you know, actively uh, supplied illegal booze to to the United States, uh, and uh, and like the government just kind of their government turned a blind eye while their their organized crime just uh, pumped a whole bunch of booze, uh, and I'm sure it's a hundred percent accurate being uh, being portrayed by Hollywood, um, but you have to imagine that shit happened, and uh, it's just it is funny. Like when when you like you strike a nerve like that, like that'll man that'll make men that'll make dudes fight. Uh, that'll make women fight. Uh, you take away their their little afternoon sauce, and you make it illegal. Ugh. Yeah, people turn crazy. Um, so I was reading I was reading on some of the like. Yeah, you hear a lot about like New York and, and the rum runners on the on the East Coast, um, but you don't hear much um, 
outside of like Texas, you know, you had Bonnie and Clyde, but they weren't really uh, bootleggers. And then, you know, of course, you had like the Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, where typically where your your moonshiners are um, call home. You had you had all of that going, but you didn't hear a, you never hear a whole lot about the Western U.S. outside of Texas, like I said. But they're yeah, Bonnie and Clyde they were they were bank robbers. They weren't <coughs> they weren't bootleggers. Um, and, and I don't exactly remember. And it may have just been um, I'd I'd heard some stuff about um, particularly up in Montana about. Uh, trading liquor back and forth and um and and then that led to me the what should be the song of feature on this but it's uh, it's one of core blunt's uh, most famous songs uh five dollar bill and uh and if you you listen to that song it's uh has a lot to do with uh, the whole um you know illicit moonshine trade on the the u.s canadian border so it's it, that's kind of where where I went. So I I got to looking up some of the uh some stuff in in that part of the world and so this is from the Montana Memory Project and um pop it up on screen real quick. But it, it kind of it's funny how it just reminded me of of kind of a lot of 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 just rural America in general, how uh, where is that uh, Montana Memory Project? Um, here we go. Uh, and because it, it kind of remembered or reminded me of um, you know, of COVID in in rural america where where people just uh, they didn't really give too much of a fuck but it says the decades of the 1920s was commonly called the roaring 20s uh and this is from that was like the lewiston uh lewiston democrat news um although lewiston may not have been roaring the prohibition law was being flagrantly ignored both here and statewide by 1928, the Lewiston uh, Democrat News was full of reports on liquor raids. Uh, the issue of January 29, 1928, reported a raid at the Ann Hotel and more, where a still and quantity of booze uh, was seized in March. Ed Reamer, uh, a famed Lewiston booze runner, was caught near Terry by government agents. He had a special compartment in his high-powered car that carried a large quantity of booze, which he was selling at $12 a gallon. The Lewiston uh, paper reported on March 29th, 1928, that uh, 200 gallons of whiskey was seized at a Great Falls raid, on, and on March 30th, it reported that Burr Hill, a federal uh, prohibition officer, resigned because of lack of cooperation by the public. <laughs> <laughs> he stated that prohibition was a failure because it was not backed by a public opinion. Uh, frequent raids, however, can continued through this year. Um, that is the most American thing I've ever heard in my life. Is uh, <laughs> he had a Fed that just quit his job because he had no no cooperation from from the public. That uh, this makes me proud of my country. Uh, that uh, that's a beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful thing. So, uh, 
good job um you know Lewiston Montana that's <laughs> that's 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 awesome um it's amazing how it just uh it brought up all this uh like the seedy under underbelly of of America came to life and uh and then not not so much uh not not just came to life but like came to prominence like the the Italian mafia man they really came to power during the during the 20s and and it's a it's the same type of thing that uh that is happening in in Mexico and Nicaragua and Guatemala and stuff right now. And, and it's the same type of deal, just a different substance. It's not a, it's not a liquid form. It's uh you know, it started as a powder form. And then, uh, I guess fentanyl is a powder. Yeah. They put it in, you know, they put it in, uh, all, all the other powder drugs, but either way, it all comes from some sort of illicit substance and, uh, 1920s being alcohol. That was, that was a big one. And, I mean, hell, the the Kennedys uh, got their wealth from from running booze uh, for all their for all their massive, you know, you know, high minded, hoity toity, pinky in the air as you're drinking, sipping your afternoon tea. Uh, Massachusetts liberals, they they all bought the Kennedy booze that that they brought in illegally, and uh, yeah, it's just it's crazy how. Uh, when people want something, they're going to go find it. Uh, speakeasy was not a thing until uh, alcohol was out, outlawed. And then, so you had all these bars in New York City that were just, uh, well, okay, would you like a glass of water? I guess, sir. Um, go, go watch this, uh, this new style of music that not a whole lot of people understand um, and do that completely stone sober. But we can offer you maybe a glass of milk glass of milk with your jazz do that sir no no they wanted they wanted some whiskey they wanted uh they i i guess people probably wanted beer but uh beer was kind of the i bet beer was real expensive back then because beer is the most uh it takes up the most volume takes up the most space uh as opposed to even wine wine will uh, will takes up uh way less space than uh than than beer does and then then even further than that and you know of course you get you get into your hard booze and so that's everybody drank hard booze in the uh in the 20s because that was the 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 most concentrated so you you could carry the most of uh of uh, of uh a spirit as opposed to a wine or a beer you could yeah you could you could pump a lot more uh or you could you could hold a lot more booze uh with whiskey than you could uh with beer and so everybody drank drank booze because that was the easiest to transport you could transport the most of it in the the least amount of space kind of like how we went from uh opium and laudanum to uh heroin and now even you know even further you know just every, whenever a certain drug gets you know gets outlawed then they just they find a different way to get it to you, and so, then they concentrate it. And <clears throat> that's the same thing that happened with with alcohol. Um, like the Germans were were big time uh, beer drinkers, still are. Uh, but I bet you their schnapps intake went up during uh, the prohibition because it was way easier to get, you know, a couple gallons of schnapps, and then uh, and that that'll get you drunk 
several times over as opposed to a couple gallons of a beer that'll last you over for one for one uh you know a couple you and a couple of buddies drinking beer and telling stories that couple you know a couple gallons of beer will go pretty quick as opposed to schnapps that'll shit you could that'll get you drunk a couple times anyways so um i don't know it's, just, it's how how kind of the market works and uh the weird thing about Canada was like, that I found out was they they also had um, uh, prohibition laws, but their prohibition laws were more like on a on a, a federal type deal, like not, not, not so much dictated by by Ottawa. But so in nineteen sixteen, Alberta decided to uh, to enact prohibition. But the, but it was also a weird thing. So they they couldn't um, they could not uh, make it or uh, I guess they couldn't produce it in in Alberta. But they did not ban the import of it. So they just went right across the border to either Montana or to British Columbia because uh, British Columbia was not uh, was not under prohibition so they'd either go to british columbia or over the border into montana and 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 bring the booze in uh legally into alberta well then shit gets real crazy because then british columbia uh enacts prohibition laws and but they i don't think i think they also did not uh ban the import so that was 1918 or 17 or 18 either way just before the u.s did so in the meantime montana is a boom town because you got all these canadians that can still still drink they just can't they can't make the booze in in canada so but they can still buy it so you get all these people uh just flooding canada with booze and then all of a sudden holy shit now now the americans have uh have enacted prohibition so now where do we get our booze and ah, i wonder how much money england made off of us uh like scotland like scotland's still a, a country just like living off of world war ii royalties on, on their scotch i i would like to think they probably are um anyway back to canada because that's like almost england um This dude sounds like my kind of guy. Um, except he he probably worked harder than I care to care to watch anybody work. But it's a fella named uh, Emilio <coughs> Picarello, <coughs> and um, yeah, so Alberta joins uh, the prohibition movement, nineteen sixteen. Um, Emilio Picarello, he was also uh, nicknamed Emperor Pick. Uh, he came straight from the old country. Um, he was not Sicilian, even though, um, as he became more famous in in the the media, they they claimed he was just because uh, Sicilies were all the you know all the old old school mob ties all go back to Sicily and. Uh, so they used the they they called him Sicilian just to 
typical media, you know, gin up interest and and, uh, and intrigue and whatever. Anyways, he uh, he moves over uh, initially to Ellis Island, and then he he moves up to Toronto, and somehow for. For whatever reason, he goes from from Ellis Island into the, into New York, and then then up to Toronto. But I guess they're they're all they're right there, kind of close, anyways. But and um, much like today, uh, the border was fairly open, from what I understand, and uh, you could just go go across. And but he he did some kind of odd jobs uh, in in Eastern Canada, and eventually he. Uh, I think he he had a store or something, uh, but he gets in and gets an opportunity to uh, to head out to to Alberta and run a macaroni uh, factory. Like no joke, this is it sounds like a made up um, story by somebody making fun of a bunch of Italians, you know, and just how like everything, you know, it's a bibbidi bobbidi macaroni, Emilio Bicarello. But he literally moved out to Alberta to to operate and, and run a macaroni factory, which, uh, yeah. So, I, I mean, I guess that could have been a gabagool factory and, and that would have been a little bit more uh, Italian. But, I mean, macaroni is pretty, it's pretty good. Well, we're talking poor Italians here. Maybe they, don't, they can't afford the gabagool. Um, but he uh from there he he spins off and he's quite the entrepreneur. He he builds up a couple different other businesses. Like he had an ice cream cart back in the day. Um it was like a horse drawn uh, refrigerator cart, I guess. Um and he would he would sell ice cream and uh had a couple of restaurants and stuff and eventually he gets into the booze racket and he buys a he buys a hotel in Blairmore, Alberta, um, and it's right right in the area known as uh, the Crow's Nest Pass. <coughs> and um, it was uh, it was in southwest Alberta, so it was uh, it was with uh, within close distance of both Montana and uh, and British Columbia, which initially was the two two suppliers of his uh his booze and then eventually uh they also became the customers of his booze and it all became a big old racket you know just like the drug the drug game is right now um so he uh he buys this hotel it's called uh it's called the Alberta Hotel and and it's got this uh big underground like a uh, wine cellar type deal and uh and he bought that of course you know to to store all the booze he was selling and then this was all legal in in the, at the time uh and then he hires this guy named Carlo uh Sanfidelli or uh, also what later became known as Charles uh, Lissandro. and uh and then he he also he had this uh this this wife of his who who came from from Italy and and they called her Florence. She's got a weird name that I don't know. Um, but she was like 15 years old, and um, you know we kind of frown upon that today. But uh, for whatever reason, that was pretty 
like well accepted back then. Um, you think about that, like I don't, I don't know. I guess any any fifteen year old uh, girls, like I can't think of any just right offhand that I know at a at a very deep level. But like my niece uh, just turned twelve, thirteen, twelve, thirteen. Anyway, she's. Like I can't imagine her being married or, or you know having kids and but you know if you look at that that time two years two years from now she like that's when she starts and I'm like, yeah that that's just how they did it back then weird um but anyway th- this dude um was like the kingpin like and and he was uh and he was just he was really uh he was he was a kind of an American story, which is a shame. He ended up in uh, fucking commie Canada uh, because he he you know he he picked himself up by his bootstraps. Uh, he hit the ground running, uh, built up a business, uh, had him a family, married him a, a good Italian girl, uh, moved out west, uh, ran a macaroni factory, fed all the wops out there. I mean, all the wops got fed from that macaroni factory, and uh, and now. He's like, hey, uh, I was gonna drink of that wine, uh, and uh, somebody needs to buy it, so somebody gotta have the supply, uh, and then uh, it's a me. So there he goes. I mean, it just makes sense. And and well, while it's legal, um, pretty soon then they ban the import, and the U.S. uh banned it altogether. And so now you just got moonshiners running wild all across the border. And whoever whoever can get, get the biggest supplies the winner, I think. I don't know exactly how that all worked, but <clears throat> yeah, it just funny is is it started as Montana and British Columbia pumping booze into Alberta to uh you know to to provide uh sustenance for their for their booze hounds over there. And then, like, that supply doesn't shut off from America, but it has to get knocked down quite a little bit. Um, but anyway, then you get the, the gangs involved, and there's a couple other moonshiners in, uh, involved with this uh, Emilio fella. And they may have tipped off the Alberta, what is it, the Alberta Provincial Police. So on September 1st, uh, September 21st, 1922, Alberta Provincial Police attempted to intercept a convoy of illegal booze. And this guy was just, like, he got hanged. And, and I wonder if, like, that was the reason um, NASCAR is not bigger in Canada. And maybe it is. It's I can't imagine it's anywhere close to what hockey is. But this guy was, like, the, the ultimate moonshiner. Should be a NASCAR fan. But he had the... He was doing the same te- uh, techniques that the, you know, that the Appalachian moonshiners would do. They, you know, they had the, you know, the, like the false floorboards. They had the extra fuel tank and they would, uh, they would run decoy cars and, and spotters and everything. You know, it was, it was a real smoky in the bandit situation, don't you know, eh? And, um, yeah, and except they're, they're smoky was like on on a mounted on a moose you know um i don't i wonder what they made the the 
like the prohibition agents uh, wear up, up, you know, because, you know, the Canadian, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, they got to wear those stupid red uniforms, uh, re- really look like an asshole. Because um, they're like, hey, we used to be British, but we're totally not now. But we still kind of like them. Um, and that's like their, you know, like, you see those guys like busting into Mar-a-Lago. Oops, sorry, eh? Uh, we got some orders, uh, you know, real sorry about this, fella. Um, yeah, I wonder what their prohibition agents look like. Well, this dude, anyway, he, he's got, he, he hires this guy straight out of the old country and he, he's got this 15 year old, uh, daughter who may or may not have been, uh, like an arranged marriage. Who knows? People did shit weird back then. Um, anyway, they, uh, they're running, um, okay. So they're, they're headed from, from, uh, Blairmore, Alberta, and they're going to to British Columbia to to get some booze, and then they're bringing it back. And turns out some of the other local moonshiners uh, had got got a little pissed off, and uh, I guess a tad bit racist because uh, now, like, if we look at things through the the scope of history and not just like <sighs> whatever ide- uh, ideology that. They, they teach in the universities nowadays, but like the Italians weren't always considered whites per se. You know, they, they were also kind of like also neither were the Irish, even though they're like pasty white. They were also not quite considered in the white category. Um, and so there was there was some racism towards towards uh, the Italians kind of always but then all of a sudden like they the Italians just got absorbed into the white community which is weird cuz i don't feel feel like they belong as uh, as half white i'm like i would like them to get back to their rightful place of being is that guy brown like right where right where i'm at is uh where people are like pretty sure but not not real sure if that guy's uh ethnic that's where that's where the Italians belong in the same class as me. So, uh, but there there is apparently some some racism towards uh, the the Italians back back in that day, and uh, a couple of the other moonshiners uh, tipped off the Alberta provincial police and um, tried to try to stop them. Well, they the the hired man. He, uh, he's in, he's in one of the, I think he's in the car that, that's got all the booze or no, maybe he just had an empty car. I can't remember, but he takes off. Must've been the empty car. Cause he, he went out ahead and he broke through the, the roadblock, but they shot at him and they ended up hitting him in the hand or something like that. And so he, he ends up getting arrested later and, uh, and something I'm not sure exactly what all happened to him, but in the meantime, this Emilio fella thinks his uh, his uh, his little worker Charles had had been shot. He, you know, and you know how uh, how shit happens when when an event happens and everybody tells their their neighbor who tells their neighbor, and so then shit gets really blown out of hand. And so even though 
this guy got blown in the hand, you know, got shot in the hand. Uh, it gets around to, to Emilio that he got shot in the head. And so he's pissed and he goes down to uh, confront the sheriff. Uh, and then things get weird because the sheriff dies. And also he takes uh, this, this Emilio, he takes Charles Lissandro, the guy that supposedly got shot in the head, but actually just got shot in the hand. His wife, the little 15 year old, uh, she goes down there with, with Mr. Emilio to confront the sheriff. And in the midst of all that, the sheriff dies and they, they speed away. And, uh, after a manhunt, they, they, uh, round him up. <coughs> and the, the Canadians being a, a polite, uh, people and apparently respected law and order, uh, were kind of horrified by the fact that their sheriff had just got shot down in the street. Um, and there was one eyewitness to the crime and that happened to be the sheriff's nine year old daughter. So you can imagine, uh, Oh, Emilio, uh, being a, an Italian man in a very uh, otherwise um, kind of a northern European uh, type of type of people, um, he uh, he he's not only kind of a, an under underclass citizen, um, but he was well liked. But they, the media turned that into kind of hatred against him. But also, uh, the only the only witness is a nine year old girl of uh, whose dad just got murdered in front of her. So, not a not a great not a great time to be uh, this uh, Emilio fella. But up, leading up to that point, he was a very very well respected man in the community. He uh, he was very generous and uh, would would uh, hold these big big picnics and um you know he he was good to uh to give out um you know food and, and uh and clothing and stuff to to the to the poor and the needy and also when the the mines went on strike as they tend to do the mine workers went on strike he he helped uh provide food for the families of the the striking mine workers so he, he was very well respected in the community um but it it also shows pretty quick that uh uh all all those all that goodwill can be lost pretty quick when people just go tribal and um yeah when the sheriff gets shot um yeah and it was a i guess a number of different appeals uh to get this because uh, they convicted him of murder him and uh and I and I guess the 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 fifteen year old wife of the of his uh, hired hand, they get convicted of murder, sentenced to death, and they appeal it many different times. And it was kind of a. It seems that I won't I won't say maybe a sham trial, but like definitely not uh, typically what you'd consider a legit trial and. There was a there was a lot of conflicting testimony, and there was no no one was ever confirmed. Neither one of them was confirmed to be the the actual shooter. Um, 
or at least uh, they, they never determined who actually actually killed the guy between those two. But there was also like conspiracy theory that maybe somebody was in the crowd uh, that that shot the sheriff, and it's a whole big thing. And uh, I'm sure I'm sure it's big on the Canadian true true crime um, podcast charts. Um, maybe I'll, maybe I'll crack that, that chart one of these days. Probably not, but yeah, kind of crazy. Uh, we, here in America, we, we kind of typically view history through our own, um, lens being the American lens. And, uh, it's funny how we just kind of ignore shit that happens right on our, on our Northern and Southern border. But I had no idea that, that, um, that Canada had uh, prohibition laws. I did did know that Nova Scotia and uh, uh, Newfoundland <clears throat> were stopping off points for uh, ships coming from Europe loaded with booze to uh, then go to organized crime in the U.S. And um, it's funny how, just really funny how much more powerful those uh, organized crime syndicates became once uh, once something got outlawed. Kind of like the drug cartels in Mexico. A lot of people don't want to hear that maybe drugs shouldn't be illegal because people seem to get them even when they are illegal. Like, get them in prison and shit. Like, you can get the drugs that somebody gets thrown in je- uh, in prison for life over and you can still get those drugs that he was selling on the outside in prison i mean i don't i don't think you're going to stop people from from getting it so i I don't it's one of those things i hate to say it but like just quit that fight you're not going to win it we haven't won it um we should have looked a little closer at prohibition and how that spread to the not just to the out like disreg- outright disregard for the law, but the rise of these these really turned out to be really powerful uh, organized crime syndicates, and it t- it turned your your everyday average Joe into a criminal of some sort, just like just like the the folks that get you know locked up for ten years for for weed, you know for a small amount of weed. That was, that was kind of the same thing as uh getting caught at a at a speak speakeasy when they did a raid and you get thrown into the paddy wagon and go go spend the night in jail and ride a fine or whatever and it was it wasn't a big deal i guess but it was wasn't a small deal and um but then that escalated into uh the creation of the well the atf i mean that that was uh that was a direct uh, result of of trying to enforce prohibition, and uh, then that later led to the government poisoning like several hundred thousand gallons of of booze and distributing it out to the public. Some you know through through un back you know backroom deals and and channels, but uh, yeah, just. Kind of like the whole crack e- epidemic in the the late '80s of the U.S. government funneling crack into the the black community so that they could you know fund their wars uh, overseas. Um, yeah, where where this one was 
uh, probably even more fucked up because they weren't even trying to make a profit. They were just trying to throw their weight around. They're like, hey, you're not going to drink booze. And so they poisoned a bunch of booze and then somehow spread out in the community. And like 10,000 American citizens died from that. The, the fucking government just killed them on purpose, killed them because uh, alcohol was illegal. And uh, like that, that doesn't get a whole lot of attention. You're like, that, that, who signed off on that? I mean, it was a crazy time. They'd just come, they'd just come out of like the, the worst war in human history up to that point. And, uh, they weren't fucking around, I guess, but they're like, yeah, why don't we, these fuckers are just not getting the, the message that we don't like them drinking booze. So, you know what? Bring out the poison. Bring out the poison. Where do you think Vladimir Putin got it from? Did we did we send the like the the Marxists over to to the Soviets or did they send them over here? I think it's probably pretty clear that they sent them over here, but man, we uh how crazy. Crazy crazy shit. Um, prohibition. What a stupid idea. But hey, if uh, if you don't ban something like that, then certain you know institutions have no other reason to exist. So you gotta find something illegal. Always, always. First rule of government: make stuff illegal. And um. Yeah, on that note, hope you guys enjoyed the show. It was a little bit of a rambler. It's a little late here, but um, we got through it, and I'm proud of you for that. So um, anyway, if you'd like to help support the show, please head over to uh, patriot.com. Patreon.com slash burning daylight, or you can uh, sign up on uh, Spotify for the, the the paid episodes. Uh four ninety nine a month there. Um the tiers start at five uh five dollars a month on Patreon. Uh it's the best way to support the show. I'd appreciate it if you did. And if not, it's cool. I guess. We're cool for now. Um anyway, but I appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a wonderful week. And um yeah, if you're if you're near Kiowa, Colorado this Saturday, um come uh Come check it out. The Ranch Rodeo is going to be good. Also, if you want to get in on the fantasy football, um, I believe the draft is on Friday. You have to get a hold of Eric Winkler, at Eric Winkler 19 something to that effect. Um, I tagged him in the post. Anyways, uh, trying to do a 16-team league, uh, and we need a lot of people. So, anyway, uh get a hold of him or, or myself. I'll, I'll put you in contact and, uh, let's, uh, it's $20 entry and, uh, there's a, there's a payout schedule for, for second and third, I believe. I don't recall exactly what the amount is, but either way, 20 bucks will get you in. It'll be a fun time. We're going to do some shit talking and, uh, try to make life fun again. Get away from politics. Let's, uh, let's argue about sports instead. So anyway, fantasy football is a good way to do that. So if you want to join up, um, Get a hold of myself or Eric Winkler. And um, most importantly, uh, stay safe out there. 
<clears throat> it's a crazy one. So uh, on that note, move your ass. We're burning daylight. I wrote my new song on a $5 bill, but I won't be able to sing it until I get hot on the trail for to pick up a track of the doodle little thief and get my five bucks back. I first got the five dollars on my Montana man when I come across the line with a pistol in his hand. He said, give me all your money, but I got the his first. I took his coats to and the whole first first. You see, you couldn't buy liquor in the States back then, so we saddled up the ponies and we loaded up the gin road underneath the shadow of the Grand Old Chief to get the Northern Rocky Mountain kind of tax relief. You put a can on the cattle when the marker got down and the veterinary bills to the doctor in town. The kids needed shoes and I had to get fed and a big old bank lien was over my head. I wrote a new song on a $5 bill, but I won't be able to sing it until I get hot on the trail. Wanna pick up the track of the doodle in a thief and get my five bucks back. Well, I would have stopped talking about Canadian rye, okay, and the palate and it's crisp and it's dry. And see, Graham's bottles, taste them out of top shelf. I said, well, thank you very much, sir, I cooked it myself. Of course, that didn't wash with the boys down south, judging by the stream of color coming out of their mouth. I can't figure why, cause of where I stood, I got them just as damn drunk as any store bar would. I wrote my new song on a $5 bill, but I won't be able to sing it until I get hot on the trail. Boy, to pick up the track of the doodle little thief and get my five bucks back. Okay. Across the border with six or eight guys Some damn fool soft fit to deputize There weren't no sheriff nor marshal inside I guess the long man was up drinking whiskey all day He said, give me all your money, but I got to his first I took his coats to and the whole third verse He picked my back pocket, worked the five bucks loose I had tucked in behind a can of Copenhagen sluice I wrote my new song on a five dollar bill But I won't be able to sing it until I get a hot on the trail Boy, to pick up the track of the doodle little thief and get my five bucks back The doodle little double dealer, son of a gun of a song seed A chicken eat the thief and get my five bucks back